welcome to the Vanessa Londino podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Londino. Welcome back, folks. This week, we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of our usual podcast, which is a pretty deep dive into some aspect of mental or emotional health, for the last Monday of every month, we're going to have a very special guest on the podcast. Why am I doing this? Well, because mental and emotional health isn't really just about navel gazing. It's not just about thinking about your life, your actions, knowing yourself. That's part of it. That's the foundation of it. But ultimately, our mental and emotional health is lived out in our lives. It's lived out in the choices we make from where we live to what we eat to who we pursue intimate relationship with to what we do for work. Every aspect of life is lived out with mental and emotional health in mind. Either we're doing that intentionally and consciously, or it's happening subconsciously. But one way or another, the scope of our mental and emotional health is playing out in all of the decisions of our lives. So what I want to do is have different professionals come in once a month from different disciplines, not necessarily mental health experts, but professionals in their own field who are living with mental and emotional awareness. And they're going to talk to us about how those disciplines crisscross, how mental health is part of what they do, how part of what they do supports mental and emotional health. So it's the last Monday of the month. So it's time for our professional guest. This week, we have Liz Sanfilippo little bit of history about me and Liz, and I think we talked some about this in the interview, but Liz and I met when we were about 10 or 11. We met in the sixth grade, and we were instant friends, and we've stayed friends through life. We're now in our 40s. We still take girls' trips together. She's just a precious, precious, beloved friend in my life. And Liz also happens to be in the healing arts. She is a member of the National Association for Nutrition Professionals. She has reached the designation of Nutritional Therapy Master. She's also a certified gluten-free practitioner, and she is a nutritional therapy practitioner. Okay, that's what she does, nuts and bolts. Liz is a nutritionist, and she knows her stuff. She's also certified in yoga. She's just an extremely well-rounded healthy individual who's human, just like you, just like me. So without further ado, welcome to the first edition on the Vanessa Landino podcast of The Last Monday Interview. Thank you, Liz, for joining us on the Vanessa Landino podcast. Uh, let's start with just some basics so that our listeners get a sense of what it is that you do and how it is that your work contributes to mental health overall. Why don't you talk to us about what a holistic nutritionist is? Well, I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. And so basically the difference between what a traditional nutritionist and a holistic nutritionist does is it's a whole body and individual approach to nutrition and health. Um, and we look at health as the expression of, you know, the interaction between physical, chemical, mental, emotional, spiritual, um, and environmental aspects of somebody's life. And at any time, you know, all of these things interplay with each other. Uh, but at any time, one of those things can be more balanced or imbalanced, you know, than another time in somebody's life. So it's always changing, um, which is why we have to look at people as individuals. Um, so I use nutrition education as the primary tool to engage my clients with their health, health process um, and to help them really listen to their own body. So that 
is the end goal. It's, you know, your body is talking to you and I teach you as a holistic nutritionist how to listen to it. You know, when I was struggling with all of my own stuff, I guess it was two two years ago or was it last year that you and I worked together? Yeah, I think it was like probably two years ago at this point. Yeah. And, you know, and I know I'll say this in the introduction piece, but I've known Liz since I was 11. For all these years, we've been, you know, in touch and closer and more distant at times, but we've just maintained this friendship. And two years ago, we were on a Zoom call with a third friend of ours, and I was just sort of talking about how I was doing and how my physical health was going. And I was like, yeah, IBS is just rearing its ugly head and I'll never forget it. You just said, you want to keep a food journal for me? And I was so excited because I thought, oh my gosh, Liz is going to work with me. This is great. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to fix this. And I have had such an intuitive and loving relationship with my body for years. I mean, I've really worked through some of my own body trauma, both physical, sexual, I've learned to take care of my body through diet and exercise, but there was a gap in how to take care of my gut. And when I heard you just talk about education, I remember those first couple of sessions with you on the phone where we kind of just walked through how the gut works. And to be completely honest, having heard it once, I don't think I could teach it back to anybody. It's not an area of expertise after one hearing, but there was such a sense of just being cared for by you and also a sense that like, okay, this works somehow. Like there is a way to bring this into balance. I just don't know how to do it. But there was hope. I guess that's the point. There was hope. Yeah. And I think, you know, the thing that strikes me when what probably, you know, caught my attention is that we start to identify with our symptoms, you know, like I'm just somebody who has migraines or I'm just somebody who has IBS. Mm-hmm. And we kind of have lived, we live with things for so long that it's not even like we lose hope. Like we don't even know that we've lost hope. We just think like, this is just how I am. You know, this is just how I am for the rest of my life. I need to deal with IBS. I need to deal with emergency trips to the bathroom at inopportune times. You know, I need to deal with pain or chronic infections or migraine headaches or whatever it is. You know, we just, we have lived with them for so long that they become part of us. Yep. And we don't even realize that it's something that we can address. Yeah, that's so well said. And as a therapist, I find the same thing is true with mental health, that people sort of identify, oh, I'm just depressed or I have anxiety. Um, you know, depression runs in my family or addiction runs in my family. And there are these assumptions that we make about ourselves without knowing what the tools are, what the building blocks of both health and illness are. Illness has its own building blocks. There's a trajectory of it, just as there's a trajectory of health. So yes, I'm sure we're gonna say a lot more about that. What's been your own journey, Liz? How did you get here? So, I mean, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Like I can honestly say that even as, when I think as far back to high school, right? I never really felt quote unquote good. I always was kind of like low energy. Mm. I always had digestive issues. Um, As I got older, it was like, you know, when I ate certain foods, um, I never felt good working out. That was something that really always bothered me. You know, I could never really exercise. I would actually feel worse after working out. And 
you know, people would just, you read all these articles about how important exercise is. You know, I see my peers and my friends and other women loving exercise and how great they feel afterwards. And I could never identify with that feeling ever. Um, and, you know, I always dealt with a lot of anxiety, both number one, I just think, you know, I was just probably born a little bit more tightly wound Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of it is my personality, but another part of it is just like, you know, traumatic events throughout mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them, I didn't even know that they were tra- traumatic events until I was an adult and started to really address them. So like that anxiety that I always had from childhood on was just always kind of like there underneath the surface. Um, but really like when I had my son in 2010, after that things escalated for me, I started having migraine headaches. I've never had a headache in my life before that. Mm. Um, I started having things like numbness and tingling in my extremities, vertigo, um, a racing heart and my dad died of heart disease when he was 58. So that was always like really concerning to me, racing heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I, then I started to have like rapid weight loss and no appetite. Things were really get going down a path that were, you know, really scary to me. I would feel like I was going to pass out all the time. Um, and I had two little kids that I was taking care of, you know, I'd be like sitting in my car at a traffic light feeling like I was going to pass out and just be like, please let me make it home. You know, so Mm. as things progressed, I started seeing specialists. Um, You know, I was having all kinds of tests. I had my heart checked. That was normal. Thank goodness. Um, With a family history, that was a real concern. You know, I went to neurologists for my headaches and for the numbness and tingling that I was having. Had a whole MRI. That was normal. All my blood tests were coming back normal. Or like if something was a little off, they would explain it away endocrinologist like I went to all these specialists and nobody could figure out what was wrong with me and things were just getting worse over time um so you know this was probably like a year year and a half long process and you know every doctor I went to they would tell me that I had anxiety and it was like I've always dealt with anxiety so I knew I know what my anxiety feels like And yes, like I was anxious because I was having all these health issues and nobody could figure out what it was. But I just knew that that was not the thing that was like causing me all these issues. At the end of the day, like, was it the root cause? Like it might have been my stress levels probably were the root cause, but now it was manifesting in this physical way. And just dealing with anxiety wasn't going to be the thing that was going to make it better. Um, So finally, I decided to go to an integrative doctor, um, I live in the Philadelphia area, so I went to this integrative medical specialist center in Philly, and the first thing they did to me um, was do nutrient testing. I had already had every other blood test, every other scan, all the things, right, and I never had nutrient testing done, and it showed that I had all of these vitamin and mineral deficiencies, which was really weird because... I've always eaten like I've been a relatively good eater, you know, Um, so it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. But we started to address those. I did feel a little bit better once I was feeling better and I was able to eat like more of a regular diet. We dove into elimination diet and that was when my life really changed. Like there are moments in our life where it's like, you know, before and after. I think that we can associate them with more like traumatic events, like the loss of a loved one, 
um, or something like that. But when I discovered that I had food sensitivities and in particular to me, I have a gluten sensitivity, it changed my life. Like there was before that and then there was after. Like I felt healthy. I felt vibrant. I felt like I could work out for the first time in my life. Um, I felt strong. I no longer had headaches or a racing heart or felt like I was going to pass out. Like it was kind of like a miracle and I really did not believe it at first. Um, but you know, that's really what it was. And I became really curious about that. I became really curious and I would not believe it. And then I would go back to my old diet and I'd feel terrible again. And then I'd go back to my new way of eating, which was gluten-free. Um, and I would feel amazing again. So that's, you know, kind of the shortened version of how I discovered, you know, using food as one of the tools to help me with my health. Yeah, it is such a great story because it's a story at its core of self-love and insisting on feeling better and finding the right doctor, the right avenues, the right information it's there's so many themes in this story that are connected to the idea of holistic health, which is that we are determined, perseverant, we're dogged in our pursuit of health. And again, you know, you said so eloquently before that we can tend to identify with our symptoms. This is a perfect example of refusing to do that. It just shows a lot of tenacity on your part to find the answers and even to have the latitude to experiment with yourself. You know, okay, so I've stopped eating gluten. I feel 100% better. Well, what happens when I eat it again? Oh, it is the gluten. Okay, well, let me go back to it. And I think, you know, in terms of mental health, sometimes we do this in relationships. You know, we sort of date someone, break up. Wait, was it the relationship or was it me? Then we go back. No, it was definitely the relationship, you know. But I think that it just speaks to the journey of health, that it's not linear, Say right, something yeah. about that. And um, the person who, you know, ironically, now that I'm thinking of it, the person who sent me to an integrative health specialist was my therapist because <laughs> I kept going back to her saying, <clears throat> like, they keep telling me I'm anxious and you know me, like, you know, like, I'm feeling better. Like, I had really been addressing a lot of the trauma of my past. Um and so I knew that I had the tools to deal with that. So why all of a sudden was I feeling this way? You know, why was my anxiety so high? Like, why was I feeling this way physically? It was so frustrating that people were telling me, like, it's just your anxiety. And I was so insistent that that's not what it was, um, that it was my therapist. And I said, am I going crazy? Like, is this my anxiety? And she knew me and knew me well at that point it had been years and she was like no I think you need to go to this person and they specialize in these really difficult to you know figure out cases you know there's mm -hmm. nothing really terrible wrong with you thank god for that but mm -hmm. something is going on physically so that's I really found this path through my therapist you know it's incredible 
As you're saying this, I realize that for so long, I chalked my IBS up to anxiety, all my gut issues, all my digestive issues. I didn't know what I could tolerate. I really didn't. I sort of just ate a balanced diet and for vanity reasons or for energy reasons, one way or another, I just always tended toward a more low-carb diet, which was one of the things I learned, and we'll get to this from working with you, that that is not what my body wanted at all. It was out of balance. Um, it just, the issue was what kind of carbs. But I remember sort of chalking up my digestive issues to anxiety. Like, well, I guess there are just some places in myself mentally and emotionally that I'm never going to heal. And I know that that, you know, can manifest in the gut. So I'm just going to have to learn to live with it, you know, and you just sort of roll mm -hmm. over and decide that this is your life. And I remember yeah. working with you and having a similar tension within myself where I was like, wait a second, these issues are not bothering me. This I don't think this is emotional. It doesn't feel emotional. It feels like something else. And it was yeah. really, really... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess it was affirming for me to realize that not everything is, you know, a psychosomatic issue, that there was just something going on in my diet with my nutrient levels and everything else that we'll talk about, um, that it wasn't, quote unquote, my fault. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think that, you know, you're not wrong. Your instinct isn't wrong to be relating your IBS to anxiety. Sure. Because really, that is the root cause. Okay, right? good. So, and like, I, I guess, like, let's move into that a little bit. Like, yeah. you know, how the gut and mental health, like, go together, right? Let's do because, it. you know, the impetus for these issues really is stress and anxiety. But once the problem occurs is that once you've got all the tools to man to manage, right, your stress, your anxiety, whatever it is that you have going on, these things, these problems still persist, right? So because now like the damage is, is done, so to speak. So the best way to explain this is, by talking about a book that I love and it's called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Um, and it is by Robert Sapolsky. Have I ever told you about this book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers? No. Okay. Tell us about it. Um, so basically the idea of the book is that let's say there's a zebra grazing, you know, in the grasslands and all of a sudden a lion comes and the zebra is being chased by this lion, right? So, okay, it is now in fight or flight. It's sympathetic nervous system, you know, is working, okay? It's adrenaline is high, cortisol is high, increased heart rate, blood pressure is up, right? It's breathing heavily. Um, there's blood flow to the extremities because it has to run faster. The only thing that this zebra has to do at that time is outrun the lion. It's, that zebra's body does not have to do anything else. It's not thinking about digesting the grass it just ate. It's not thinking about reproduction, right? All of those systems shut down because the body is in fight or flight. It can only do one thing. So, you know, the zebra outruns the lion. Great. It, it automatically, within about 20 to 60 minutes, goes back to rest and digest. The parasympathetic nervous system starts taking over. That's the healing, the regeneration. That's your digestion, detoxification, right? Your immune system is building when you're in rest and digest. So 
the concept of why zebras don't get ulcers is because a zebra just goes right from that sympathetic nervous system state to parasympathetic naturally, right? But us humans with our developed brains, we cannot do that. Um, the problem is, is that your system does not know if it's being triggered by a real or an imaginary threat, right? So say we're chased by a lion. When that, if we outrun the lion, right, we're not going to forget about this. We're going to retell the story, you know, every different way we can. We're going to dream about it. We're going to be looking around every tree looking for a lion, right? Just replace the lion with anything in your life, you know, any kind of traumatic event, any kind of like you're rushing to get somewhere because you're late. It doesn't matter. Like the system is the same. It has to go into fight or flight. So it shuts down other processes. And so in, you know, what I do and what I specialize in, that's digestion. So when your digestion is shut down, you know, the gut starts to function improperly. You know, you don't make enough enzymes to break down your food. You're not absorbing and assimilating nutrients. The physical barrier of your gut becomes damaged and imbalanced. Um, you're no longer detoxifying properly, right? So all of this leads to over time and a long period of time leads to inflammatory conditions, poor immunity. You know, you start having food sensitivities because your body is always on such high alert and your gut is damaged. So things are like leaking into your bloodstream now. This is why people tend to have a lot of food sensitivities. Um, your immune system is fighting it off. Like it has to distinguish what is self from non-self. That's its only job. So if it thinks that something is coming at it or into your body that's non-self, it's going to attack. So when we're in this like constant state of stress and it could just be a little bit of stress or it can be a really traumatic event, it could be real or it could be imaginary. It doesn't matter. Like the whole, the whole purpose of your body is to always maintain balance. So it's always going to be shutting things down if it needs to. So that's why over time, you know, we'll have these acute symptoms of IBS um, or whatever it is that happens. You know, some some of my clients will have have pain conditions. So when they're high stress, like their pain will flare up. Um, so in an acute situation of high stress, like that'll happen. But if you never fully resolve and go back to rest and digest, over time, it just becomes chronic. So that's why IBS becomes a chronic condition, even though you've maybe eliminated the source of the stress, you have better stress management tools you need more than just stress management at a certain point. Yeah, that makes so much sense. You know, along those lines, along that same type of thinking, it reminds me of a book I read years ago by Peter Levine called Waking the Tiger. Waking the Tiger is about trauma and how Peter Levine, and I'm trying to remember, it's been a while since I read this book. Those of you who are listening may remember this more clearly uh, than I do if you've read it more recently. But I think he was originally a zoologist or he worked in zoology in some way, but he studied trauma responses in animals. And what he learned was that when, just like you're describing, Liz, when animals are pursued on the plains, in the jungles, whenever the predator is pursuing the prey, and humans are prey animals. Uh, we do not have great means of protecting ourselves without fashioning weapons. So in the world of the animal kingdom, humans are considered prey naturally. 
What he talks about in this book is that, for example, if a tiger is pursuing its prey or a lion is pursuing its prey, the animal will, of course, move into fight or flight. Their only goal is to stay safe. That is the fear response is to move ourselves to safety. And yeah, we can talk more about how human beings don't really have a great job of perceived fear versus real fear. (laughs) We just perceive fear and feel fear. And that's part of what forms the basis of PTSD, of course, because we keep replaying a situation in our mind or we keep being triggered in such a way that is triggering a fear response when there's no imminent threat in the environment. But what Peter Levine found was that once these prey animals, an antelope, a gazelle, whatever they are, they move away from the danger, they outrun it, they outsmart it, however they get away from it, and then they separate from their herd. And this is really interesting. And they shake. And all of that adrenaline needs somewhere to go. And so they shake and they shake and they shake. And when they return to the herd, their system is completely brought back into balance. And they are able to graze with no memory of that event whatsoever. And yeah, humans have such developed brains. Our brains don't process information the way that animals that are sort of lower on the totem pole in the animal kingdom do. However, there's a lesson for human beings in that. And what Peter Levine learned is that in order to reset the system, all of that energy needs somewhere to go. So he was really famous for doing trauma healing sessions with clients where he would actually have them re-enter the traumatic memory and allow themselves to shake. And it's one of the toughest It's one of the toughest areas in trauma work to get a buy-in from a client because they feel so foolish. And when you can bring somebody, and very often some of you who have heard me talk about this know this, but very often if we can get somebody there through something like brain spotting or even EMDR, just really processing the traumatic event, all of those autonomic nervous system responses are coming back online in real time in the room. And the work is actually to let it happen, that that actually has to happen for the healing to take place, for the body to naturally reset itself. But it sort of brings us to a really interesting area, and I'd love to hear you talk about this, Liz, of our holistic health, which is that the body intuitively knows how to heal itself. It does. I mean, that is just the foundation and the groundwork of it. Um, The problem is really tapping into that, Yeah. you know, getting rid of the noise and being able to listen to your own body. Like, how can you listen to the voice of your body versus the voice of the world around you? What a question. Yeah. How does that come up in your work with clients? What are the what are the things you find yourself repeating with clients that sort of bring them back into an awareness, into an attention or a respect for their own bodies? It's hard. You know, that Mm -hmm. is definitely like, yeah, you know, um, I first start with education and understanding that and taking away some of the labels. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, you know, the first step in realizing, like, I'm not a sugar addict. You know, people are coming to me, they're like, and they label themselves. I'm a sugar addict. I'm a carb addict. You know, I'm whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it is that they think that they quote unquote are. Mm-hmm. And I have to explain to them, well, okay, so when you're stressed, yes, you want more sugar and you want more carbs either during or immediately after because your cortisol is up. Your body is using more blood sugar. It needs energy. What is the quickest way for your body to get energy? That's going to be from a carbohydrate, 
nobody is like, oh, I'm stressed. Like, let me go eat an avocado or let me go eat a steak. No, you're like, give me the chips. Give me the cookies. Mm -hmm. Give me the cake, Mm -hmm. right? Because Mm -hmm. that's the quickest way for your cells to get energy is through glucose, right? It goes right into your cell. So that's like the first thing is just education, understanding where your body gets its energy from, what happens when you're stressed, okay? And knowing that this is a physiological response. Like you're, you know, very few people are coming to me at least with true like food addiction, you know? And so that is like the first thing, you know, the first breakthrough that I tell people is just giving them permission to understand that your body is just doing what a body does. Like your body's doing things. So let's understand why it's doing it. And then once you do that, then you can take steps to try to manage it. You know, this so, is huge. I'm going to jump in for a sec. You know, yeah. in mental health, there are quick fixes. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing. It might be, you know, retail therapy or um, a trip or and there's nothing wrong with any of these things, you know, or, um, you know, I just need to, you know, get by myself or and again, solitude is a great way to bring the heart and the mind back into balance. But again, there's there's a lack of education. I think we can all get into, of course, myself included, where we don't really know what we need. And from a mental emotional health perspective, what I work with on clients is the knowledge of their own emotions, which begins with bodily awareness. You will not know what you feel if you do not know what your body is feeling. Emotions register as physiological experiences. Anger feels different than hope. Bliss feels different than sorrow. So when we start coming back into the body again, and we can do that through breath work, it takes time in therapy to learn how to be in the body and experience the shame and the fear, blah, 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 you know. But when we start feeling those feelings again, and we realize that Mostly pleasant emotions are the result of met needs and unpleasant emotions are the result of unmet needs. We're sort of talking about the same things here, which is learning yourself, learning your body, having the patience and the time to listen to it. And when you know, okay, I'm lonely, okay, I'm not actually angry. Underneath this anger is loneliness. Well, what is loneliness a call for? connection. And I'm hearing you talk about like, okay, energy, I'm reaching for the chips. Maybe if I'm angry, I just blow up. But really what I was feeling underneath that was hurt. And hurt has to be addressed differently than anger does, right? And if someone is feeling low energy, or they're feeling whatever it is that they're feeling, and they reach for the chips, or they reach for the Mountain Dew, whatever it is, and what they really need is an avocado and steak salad, I'm just <laughs> making it up based on what you're saying. You know, it's just kind of, it, it's a process of slowing yourself down. And this to me is self-love. It's just, it's a demonstration and a manifestation of self-love where you can slow yourself down long enough to learn your own body and learn what you need. Then mental and emotional health becomes self-care. It becomes something that you can maintain on your own without needing tons and tons and tons of outside influence and outside voices. And, you know, to your point, you said a couple moments ago, it's hard. It is hard. It was hard for me. I think it's hard for people. Can you tell us a little bit about what you think makes it hard for people to just listen to their bodies and let their bodies do the healing work? I think it's the emotions that are tied to it. Yeah. And the other piece to understanding the physiological connection to food is understanding the connection, the emotional connection to food. Yeah. 
And one of the things I love to tell my clients is that food connects you to yourself and it connects you to the world around you. You know, if we just think of of traditions, you know, religious traditions, they all are surrounded by food, cultural traditions. Food is like at the center of so many traditions, right? So food has been an emotional way to connect for ages. Mm -hmm. Um, And who wants to unemotionally eat? You know, that does not sound like fun, right? Like, you know, people are coming to me saying like, I'm an emotional eater. Like, yes, you're an emotional eater because food can be comforting. It can connect us and it can connect us in a really positive and supportive way. So just understanding that mm-hmm. I think takes a lot of the pressure off of being so perfect. You know, there isn't mm-hmm. a one size fits all approach. This is another way that I get a lot of resistance is like, you know, I think people think they need to eat a certain way. They need to eat vegetarian or they need to eat you know, ketogenic, that's like, you know, the latest way of eating. Um, They need to eat sugar free. They need to eat, you know, this, this way, that way, the other way, like whatever it is, right. Or they need to be a certain size. They, their weight dictates their health. I don't think that any of that dictates their health. It's the physical way that you're feeling inside. Are you energetic? Is your digestion good? You know, are you connecting with people over food in a healthy way without guilt, without that negative emotion, you know, tied to it? Um, so, you know, to your point, like the emotions, I think I think emotions are a really big part of where people meet resistance. And through the education and then the understanding that emotion can be a healthy part of it when we deal with our emotions, what is, like you said, like, what is that underlying emotion of anger? You know, maybe it's loneliness or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, it is that comes before it. Finding that root cause can really just help you understand your relationship with food and nourishing your body in a different way and being able to nourish your body and nourish your soul. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those things are completely separate and sometimes those things merge together. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when we first started working together, when we were sort of in the education phase. And, you know, I've respected you for so long and, you know, have always looked up to you in a number of ways, but it was humbling for me. And I remember experiencing some shame at all that I didn't know. You know, for someone who had previously had a certification as a personal trainer, I mean, I could help people with weight loss. I could sculpt a body. I trained servicemen. I trained Marines. I mean, I trained really challenging people who gave me a run for my money. And I loved the challenge. But this was just a whole new body of knowledge. And for someone who had a reputation for being really healthy and a runner and a lifter and, you know, all the things that I've been into forever, um, someone who's been able to maintain weight and, you know, I, I took pride in that, but there was also a sense of identity tied to it that when I had to meet my wall, when I had to meet the body of knowledge I didn't have, you know, the 
the the symptoms I didn't know what to do with. It was really humbling. And it was, I mean, I'm grateful that I got to walk through that with someone who knows me and has known me for so long and loves me. But there is a journey for every single one of us to come up against the edge of the knowledge that we have of ourselves. You know, I remember encountering this as a personal trainer. I'm sure you encounter this all the time where you talk to people and they give you sort of the litany of the diets they've been on and like, oh, well, I tried this and the South Beach and the da 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 And it's sort of all of these different paradigms of thinking and what's lacking in all of that is, the, is a centered self, right? It's like we keep sort of going outside of ourselves. And when we have to come face to face with ourselves, either our own body's processes, what those processes are telling us about ourselves, and cope with the shame and the fear there. Because for me, it just so often comes back to shame and fear in myself and in most of the people I work with. That's really where the healing starts. It's not so much what we're doing first. It's being able to come to your face in the mirror and go, okay, I love you. There are some things going on here we don't understand, and there's hope. There's a path forward. And I remember sitting with you on my laptop, and we were kind of walking through all of the the gut pictures <laughs> that you had, all those <laughs> graphics. And I was learning about things for the first time. And yeah, there's that, you know, that pride place in me that's like, oh, I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm talking about. And it was just such a gift to be able to let it go and like, okay, I'm starting from scratch. I trust Liz, Liz knows. And I think so often when people come into healing environments, whether it's your office, a therapist's office, you have to come face to face with, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. I don't know what's really wrong. And one of the most affirming and helpful places that I think we go very early on in the work as healers is we sort of normalize what's going on. We normalize the symptoms. You know, when people, oh, I struggle with depression or anxiety, whatever it is, and then I hear their story, I'm like, wait a second, hang on. And those of you who have been listening for a while, I think this is in the episode called We Need to Talk About Depression Differently. You know, the whole idea that there's nothing wrong with your brain. You are adapting and you have adapted to an environment that would cause anyone to slip into depression. There's nothing wrong with your brain. You just adapted to it. And what I'm hearing you say, Liz, is that the body does the same thing. We just adapt. The goal is survival. And if that means survival with symptoms, then you survive with symptoms. But it's just so heartening to know that if you can come to the edge of what you think you know and who you think you are and just say, look, I am going to be open to the fact that this is not who I am. This is how I've survived. That the body sort of receives a rejuvenation of its own energy again. Like, wait a second, this isn't who I am. Do you know what I mean? Yes, it does. And really, that's like the biggest gift that I can give to my clients is Mm. that just even a peek into the window of feeling more vibrant in a different way. And, you know, we're comfortable in our discomfort. It's all that we know. It's, It's all that we've been able to identify for such a long time, like those of us who do have past trauma and, you know, it's high stress and things like that. It's all we know. It's really scary to think that we could feel different. Um and that leap from feeling, you know, in our discomfort to thriving is so overwhelming that it holds people back. 
because yes. it's all or it's that all or nothing thinking that's really hard for me to break through to people sometimes like oh, we're not looking for perfection we're just looking for progress right and that like you want to just keep progressing through your life like the goal isn't to be perfect tomorrow like because then what like that's the pinnacle and then you're like never life is never going to get any better than that no like that's not how it works it's you have to ebb and flow with your life and with your body and you have to learn how to do that um so that all or nothing thinking is really really hard you know when i first start working with clients it's like okay you know they'll do really great for the first like four weeks at least in their opinion you know and then they quote unquote fall off of a wagon right or go off the rails i've gotten it all all of it gets messaged to me like uh, i've completely gone off the rails i'm laughing because i remember this conversation so well with you (laughs) i'm like there is no wagon yeah you are not a train you are not on a rail like it's you are doing the best you can and Mm -hmm. i am not your morality is not tied to your food it's, it's just not, right. you know, I'm teaching you a way to feel more healthy and to feel more energetic. And I'm trying to give you the headspace to deal with the other things in your life. And that, I think that was like my original point that I was trying to make is that like, if I can just give somebody the gift of the headspace, that a little bit of mental space, right. To not worry about symptoms, to not be fighting against their body, you know, that is all the clarity that they often need for the momentum to keep moving forward in their physical health and using food and lifestyle. When I say lifestyle, I mean um, sleep, stress, and exercise as another tool in their toolbox. And I know you talk about like your, you know, the toolbox often. Like Mm -hmm. to me, this is a tool in my toolbox. Yeah. It's not about being perfect. It's always a progression. Your body is always changing. I don't define health as perfection. How do you define define it? it as a perfect weight or a perfect body or a perfect immune system? Because we cannot control certain things, right? I think good health is listening to your body is flowing with your body instead of fighting against it, Mm -hmm. learning what makes me feel good. What doesn't make me feel good? And then choosing, like, sometimes we're going to eat and do things that maybe don't make us feel so great. Mm -hmm. Okay. That doesn't make you an immoral person. Doesn't make you a bad person. You Mm -hmm. haven't fallen off of a rail. Just Mm -hmm. move on, right? Mm -hmm. Tomorrow's a new day. The next Mm -hmm. meal is a new meal. Ignoring the voice, that negative voice, you know, listening to the positive voice of your body, you know. So to me, like, good health is good digestion, good energy, engagement into your own process, being consistent, like not being all or nothing. If you can just be more consistent, you know, then you're on your way. Um, things are going to happen. You know, events are going to happen in your life. Stress is going to happen. Trauma is going to happen. There's so many things that we cannot control. Viruses happen. You know, it's like, how do you bounce back from that physically? You know, do you recover well? That's to me, that's good health. We get sick. We can't stop ourselves from getting sick as much as we want to. We all know we can't stop it. But can we recover? Can we recover well? You know, that to me is good health. And when you were talking before about, you know, you thinking like in your formal life, you felt that you were always quote unquote healthy. It's like, well, what is that? You know, what does healthy look like? We are getting all these messages of what health looks like. Right. But really, we should be listening to our own bodies as to what is healthy for us. Yeah. 
You know, interestingly enough, so many thoughts as you're talking. I have had this conversation with a number of clients And this sounds counterintuitive when you're talking about healing and when you're talking about health. It really does sound counterintuitive, but it's not. One of the things we have to learn how to do in mental health, and I think I'm hearing you say a similar thing in holistic health and physical health, is you kind of have to be okay sometimes not being okay. And it speaks to that perfectionism in all of us that thinks that, you know, oh, I slipped off the wagon or I, you know, called my ex and, you know, went down the same trail or I picked up a bottle again. You know, when you're working in addiction, the assumption is that people relapse five to seven times before they really stay sober. And when you're working in, for example, domestic violence, it's oddly a similar number. People return to the same situation with a violent abuser seven times before they're ready to leave. And what I work with you know, in my own therapy, both on myself and with my clients is as long as your awareness is growing, you're healing. You're not going to go from terrible habits with terrible outcomes to awesome decisions with wonderful outcomes in a straight line. That does not happen. There is a falling down and a getting back up and a falling down and a getting back up. And I think that so much of mental health starts to take root and take shape when we can understand that that is part of the process. There is no other way, because if we think there's another way, we're just going to be stuck in our own shame. And I know this journey really well. I've referred to myself as a recovering perfectionist for years. And of course, you know, you know this about me, Liz, and people who know me well know this about me, that I've had to really, really work on just being okay when it's not okay and not blaming myself and not going down, you know, the rabbit hole of what could I have done differently and why is this happening? Because it's life. It's life. And so much of the gains in therapy are made when people can shrug their shoulders a little bit and go, yeah, that happened. I'm moving on. I'm getting past this. I'm forgiving myself if I need to. I'm laughing at myself if I need to. The ability to do that alleviates so much of the pressure and the shame that we feel to get it right. It's the same with nutrition. It really is. I mean, it's like unless you have an anaphylactic, you know, food allergy, and that is really going to just kill you if you eat it, right? Like, right. obviously, that's the exception to the rule. It's the same. It's like understanding, just understanding how the body works and then being okay with whatever you're you're deciding, it, you know, to eat and how that makes you feel and just letting go of all the pressure on yourself. It, it really is like the path forward to using nutrition um, for a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, and I think that once we get there in large degree, once we can get to that point where we're like, oh, you know, kind of fell into that ditch or sort of fell back into that pattern or whatever, when there's less anxiety and shame and beating ourselves up, that has an effect on our nervous system. I mean, we're not putting ourselves into this cycle of upset and then resolution and then upset and then resolution. You know, this is part of what I work with, for example, when I work with people on anger management is when we allow ourselves without good anger management tools, when we allow ourselves to sort of fly off at the handle and freak out, think about what you're doing to your system every time you do that. It then has to recover And the same is true of a shame spiral or, you know, 
same thing, beating ourselves up if we quote unquote fall off the wagon, we then have to take the time and do the work to recover. It's so much easier to just kind of like get through those bumps in the road and just know this is life. This is humanity. This is what it is to be a human being. It is a progression forward. And that saying, progress, not perfection, is famous in AA. They've been saying that for years because they know that at the root of addiction is actually shame. It's at the root of a lot of things. And I think this is no different. So let's talk a little bit about what you're hearing from clients who are working with you. They're implementing your protocols, your program. How are they experiencing themselves, not just physically, but how is it affecting their mental health? I could talk about that for hours, but let's hear from you. (laughs) (laughs) Um. It's, it is that extra space in their heart and their head Mm. to enjoy things. I love that. That's what it is. I mean, I just got an email yesterday from a client saying, you know, they had gone home for the holidays and it was the first time that they were able to enjoy themselves, Mm. that they felt physically better you know, because they did have some food sensitivities that they had been dealing with. Um, and so they were able to manage that with home with their family. And so it was the first time that they were really able to let go of that anxiety and that fear around food and how it was going to make them feel. And so that to me is like, you know, I can teach people to eat nourishing foods. I can teach you. We all know whole foods, vegetables, good animal protein. Like we know that, right? Like you already know what you should be eating to nourish yourself. That's pretty fairly common knowledge, right? But being able to apply it in a reasonable and manageable way Um, without feeling overwhelmed and apply it in a situation where you're going home for a holiday and then feeling that freedom, that, you know, no anxiety, like that, that loss of anxiety just frees your head up for enjoyment and for joy in your life. You know, that's the mental benefit of having a really good nourishing foundation, food and lifestyle wise. It just plays out in your mental health in these situations where before you would go into it with such anxiety, right? How am I going to feel afterwards? What are people going to say about my eating? Are they going to mention me being on a diet, right? Like I hate that word diet drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, Are they going to talk about my weight? That's a whole other Mm -hmm. podcast episode, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just being able to let go of that and then finding your own voice, in it. You know, somebody comments on your weight. Well, you know what? Guess what? I don't really know how much I weigh, but I feel great. I feel energetic. I haven't had a headache in two months. I, you know, Mm -hmm. I feel better than I ever have before. Doesn't Mm -hmm. even matter what I weigh. Mm -hmm. You know, I have all these other benefits. So over time, then people start finding their voice again. So that's the other way that I see, you know, mental health wise benefits uh, to my clients. Yeah, that's a journey that I think you have just described really beautifully, but it's one that I really relate to is moving my marker on how I've defined my own health. I 
probably from a history of being in the performing arts before I moved into the therapeutic arts, but I defined health largely connected to how I looked. And that's just a consequence of being in a world where you're judged by it all the time. And, you know, I would probably define health by how my clothes fit or it, it was it, it was a, it was a, an evolving, progressing thing. And then I would define health by how many miles I could run or how much I was lifting. And then I, you know, as I worked with you, that shifted a lot to and this is sort of surprising to even to hear myself say it, but I have come to define health by not being afraid of food anymore. You know, I don't know that I would ever define myself as having had an eating disorder, but I was very much in a place of restricting to maintain. And in that, there is a fear of food. And then when my IBS really cranked up a couple of years ago, and when we started working together, I remember being near tears with you just saying like, I can't eat anything. I'm afraid to put anything in my body because nothing feels good. I can't even drink water, it felt like. And moving from a place of fear, self-judgment, self-shame, and perfectionism into freedom and confidence and hope that like whatever I do eat, there's a way forward. My gut knows how to heal itself. It's just a matter of knowing my own body. That for me has been a huge shift mentally in how I feel day to day. And then, you know, there's all of the nitty gritty details of healing your gut, which is a much more pleasant experience in digestion. And I'm not going to get into all of those details. You hear them all day long, Liz. But those are real experiences that we have to go through in our day. And when you don't have to worry about getting to a bathroom or you don't have to worry about what to eat so that you can go spend a day on a boat with your friends, whatever it is, that is freedom. That affects your mental health. It's all tied in together. Liz, any other thoughts, anything we didn't cover? This has just been so awesome. I know that the listeners out there are really going to appreciate this. Is there anything I didn't mention that you want to bring up before we wrap up? No, I mean, I don't think so. You know, I could I could go on and on. This could be a whole series of podcasts. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's no, so good. It's just, you know, I just think that it's, it's just learning how to listen to your own body and having having a little ed- education behind that, you know, that it really is the key to using, you know, food as a part of your healing process. That's awesome. Liz, as we wrap up, how can folks get in touch with you for more information? So right now I'm in the process of creating um, an all online program to teach all about gut health and learning how to listen to your own body. That's great. So like all that stuff that you said that I like presented to you in our first couple of sessions, I am getting all of that into an online program. Um, And I'm going to run it for the first time, probably the end of January or February. Um, It's going to be a four week online program, but for the first time I'm running it, I'm going to have two live Q and a sessions with it. So it almost be like a group program. Yeah. Um, so uh, your listeners can go to my website. If they go to lizsanfilippo.com backslash gut healthy, they'll be able to sign up to get more information as that becomes available for the online course. Liz, I can't thank you enough for taking the time over the holidays to do this with me. Thanks for being my friend and thank you for all you're doing 
to bring people into greater mental, physical, holistic health. You're doing great work. So thank you. Thank you. I love you. Thank you so much for having me. I love you too. Folks, thanks so much for listening today. All of Liz's information, her website, how to get in touch with her, how to work with her, all of that is in the show notes. And if for some reason you can't access it there, just shoot me an email. You know the email address, the podcast at vanessalondino.com. Just send me a quick email and I'll get you all of that information. I hope you found today helpful. I know I did. I treasure her as a friend, but also as a healer in the world. She's doing really, really important work. And This is how we get there, bit by bit, choice by choice, meal by meal. We strengthen our resolve. We strengthen our gut. We strengthen our bodies as we go. And you're going to see on my Instagram page this week some food posts. I'm going to keep those coming just so you know that I'm on that path, too. I don't make every perfect choice. But ever since Liz and I worked together, I've definitely felt a difference. If you want to get in touch with me for any other reason, if you want to say hi, if you want to let me know how the podcast is influencing you, how it's affecting you, send me an email, thepodcast at vanessalondino.com. My Instagram, as you know, is Vanessa underscore Londino underscore LPC. Thanks so much for listening. You know what to do. Share this with somebody who needs to hear it. And remember, your sole work is to discover who you truly are. And learn how to love that human being. That means loving your body with food. It means loving your body with nutrition. But it is a journey. There's no right or wrong. It's not a black and white thing. We get there choice by choice, day by day, listening to the body, learning and growing. Till next week. This podcast is recorded in Nashville, Tennessee, edited by Jared Bentley. I'm Vanessa Landino, and you just listened to the Vanessa Landino podcast.